What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Hindsightless, a sometimes sporadic, sometimes not, so it totally is sporadic podcast where I talk about life, role-playing games, or whatever else might be running around inside of my head, but mostly role-playing games, because they're myriad. Hey, Joe, Jason here. Enjoyed your part due death episode, whatever it was called, the one you just released. Although you ended kind of abruptly, you're like, let's see if there are any more calls, and the show stops. <laughs> anyway, that last caller had a bunch of good ideas, and if you want, we can maybe what we need to do, maybe it could be our October project together, we could come up with a maiming table, a rollover and maiming table, and kind of do it generic where you could adapt it to whatever game. Yeah, let's do that. Okay, the noise is going to get loud because I got the window down for gadget in the car. We're leaving the vet. She had boo-boo tummy and isn't tolerating the doxycycline very well for treating her thing. So anyway, I'll talk to you later. Bye. Yeah, Jason. So everybody, my Let's Talk About Death Part 2 episode did end abruptly. Uh, I put out my call, last call for more character death stories. And then I had everything all set to go. And when I didn't get any, I was like, okay, cool, I'm ready to go. Forgetting that I had left space for people to have le- called in more messages. So I was like, cool, that's over, boom, done, publish. No goodbyes, no thank yous, no nothing. I am amazing at this. <laughs> and speaking of how good at podcasting I am, here's an episode that doesn't fit any sort of format that I might have been shooting for at all. We all know by now that I don't have a format. So what this is, is a collection of calls that I've received over the past, I don't know, maybe two weeks or so that haven't exactly fit into any of the uh, categories that I've been discussing lately or have come in recently about episodes that I've released, but... uh, you know, I don't think there'll be enough to put together another whole part of that series, you know, like to do a hero protagonist part four, where we talk more about backstories or, you know, let's talk about death part three, where we talk about death stories. So I'm just kind of gathering up a whole smorgasbord of um, of messages from all sorts of different people. It's amazing. We cover the gamut here, folks. Which, fun fact, I thought that term was cover the gambit forever. In fact, I had to look it up today before I wrote my little description because I thought it was gambit. I don't know nothing, but you know who does know some stuff? Ray Otis. And he's going to correct me on another word that I said wrong. So, Ray, take it away. Behooven is totally a word. It means when you say something so awesome that you sprout the horns and hooves of the devil, as in he is behooven, or that was a behooven thing to say. <laughs> if that's what behooven means, I need to say behooven terms more often, man. That, that's awesome. I love podcasting sometimes because I can just say the dumbest shit. And somebody awesome will call in and put it in a way that makes it seem like what I said was awesome. When in fact it was not. 
It rules. Thank you for that, Ray. Uh, thank you for listening. Yeah, dude. Okay, so what's next? I got I got a pretty spicy take. I got a uh, a contentious opinion. You know, one of those calls that might get people's ire going. And a smart podcaster, one trying to maximize his numbers and the algorithm and all that stuff, I would tell you all about it and then put it at the end to make everyone listen to the whole show. Granted, people could just fast forward to the end. But anyway, <laughs> I am a gamer through and through, so I'm going to roll my tw- trusty oversized D20 and see if I'm going to play the contentious call from Jules from NZ next. That's right. We got a call from Jules from NZ. Longtime listener, sometimes caller. She's got a hot one for you, folks. Let's see. Uh, even, I'll put it at the start. Odd, I will put it at the end. Okay, with my big D20. Roll it. Now put it under the magnifier. It's like, if you're going to put it under the magnifier, why are you rolling with a big D20? <laughs> It don't make no sense. I know. I rolled an even, though. I rolled an 18. So up next, we have a hot take from Jules from NZ. Okay, Joey. Contentious opinion from Jules from NZ. If using a game system to build a really good character that plays, like, in the optimal level of damage and optimal level of spellcasting or whatever it is is breaking the system if using the rules of the system somehow breaks you being able to play within the system then either the system's fudged no that's right you're allowed to swear on your show system's fucked or you're a really bad gm yep i said it using the rule system never breaks the game that's what she said. <laughs> yeah, no, Jules, you know, you, you go pretty hard in the paint right there. I don't know if it makes them a bad DM necessarily, maybe an inexperienced DM. You know, I don't know if it's bad, but I do agree with you 100% that GMs should be able to overcome the challenges that their players present them as long as those players are using the rules of the game uh if the players are playing in the rules of the game in a well built well designed game you don't really have to worry about that you should always be able to challenge the players in a way that is fun and interesting that doesn't yeah, it doesn't break the game. I, I, I think that term, I've said it before, I'm sure, but I think that term, this breaks the game, is hardly ever right. Uh, it's I think it's overblown. And in most systems, I think it's just not that accurate. I think it's very, very hard to break a game if you're playing within the rules of that game. If you build your character within the rules of the game shouldn't be able to break the game if it's a well-built game that's been play tested and yeah i i i hear you i hear you but what do you guys think what do you folks think out there does that make you a bad dm 
Should DMs be able to overcome the challenges that their players present them? We talk a lot about how the players need to overcome the challenges that the GM presents. Should that be true the other way around? I don't know. But while we're debating that DM conundrum, let's talk about another DM conundrum. <laughs> let's talk about that story that Carl Rodriguez told us in my episode, Let's Talk About Death Baby 2, where the brothers came to blows. Um, where the one brother and the brother's friend conspired against the other brother to murder the character. I did some digging around. I did some digging. Turns out it was the younger brother and his friend who conspired against the older brother. Crazy, dude. Crazy. You shall bully me no more, older bro. Dude, now the... <laughs> the fact that that didn't lead to an ass whooping. I don't know. That's amazing. Anyway, Jason's got a question about that amazing story. Jason. Ask away. By the way, that was a crazy story from Carl. Yeah, man. I don't know. That <laughs> is a G. I don't know, man. I that that's yeah. I, I agree with you. That is crazy. And what do you do when that happens, right? Because as the GM, you can't say like, "Oh no, you guys don't do that," or you, you know. But but what do you do? That's so, Joe. How would you have handled that at your table? Because Carl was kept in the dark, he said, at least by the one player, the the vassal of the guy that got ganked. So what, when that happened, what would you as a GM do? What, would you stop the game and be like, okay, what the fuck is going on? Or would you let it play out and talk about it after the game? I almost think at that point you, you stop the game and you're like, wait, are you guys really doing this? And, and, and go from there. But I don't know. What do you think, Joe? What would I have done in that situation? That's really hard for me to say. Uh, I was not playing or running games at all at that age in my 20s. Uh, so I, I, can, I can say what I would do now. And I agree with you, Jason. I would absolutely stop the game in its tracks and be like, what the hell's going on here? Because there's more to it than that like there is a thing about telling a true and honest story in a role-playing game and this this is this goes along with the whole thing of but that's what my character would do there are limits to what your character would do and to telling a good story and being an asshole at the table and ruining fun for somebody else that's never cool ruining someone else's fun is never cool no matter what, doesn't matter if it's what your character would do, that sucks. That sucks to do. I think everyone out there agrees with that. Um, so yeah, I would I would totally stop the game and be like, yo yo yo, no no no, I don't need to see anybody get their ass beat. Uh, I I've had I've been running a game before where a fight almost did break out. Uh, we were, we were playing Pathfinder. I was running an adventure. And they had just beaten a big bat or something. They were kind of exploring 
around this villain lair, basically, after they had defeated the villain. They were the, so the party was all kind of spread out. And one of the guys was in one room examining, like, some jeweled statue or something. And another dude was in another room checking out this treasure chest. The treasure chest was a mimic, as all good treasure chests should be. Oh, God, players hate mimics. I don't use them much, but players hate mimics. Rightfully so. But, so, the mimic strikes, starts attacking player B, as you would think, because player B is the one messing with the treasure chest. Player A, who is in another room, like clear on the other side, nowhere near where player B was, goes, oh, I helped pull him out. And uh, I, I look at him and I say, well, you're, you're not there. You're, you're in this other room. And he looks right back at me and says, what, you mean I have to tell you where I am? This game is too granular. And my buddy, my buddy stands up. It was pissed, dude. Was pissed. Started swearing at the dude. I was pissed. I was like, dude, what do you mean? Yes, you have to say where you are. You're just not automatically there. If you want to run over there, go for it. That's totally fine. But you don't just teleport there all of a sudden because you want to be there. Yeah. Sometimes sticky situations happen in a game. But in Carl's case... You know, like I say, I I, I hold no, I, I don't hold Carl at fault for that. Like he said, he was kept in the dark. Uh, and also, I wasn't running games, so I can't say with any sort of authority what I would do in that case. Because I don't know, man. I just know what I would do now. And it would be pump the brakes. <laughs> pump the brakes. But since we are just talking about a Carl Rodriguez character death story... Let's hear another one from him. I have another death from this mean GM, and this was all me. It wasn't player versus player. I wanted to emphasize the power of dragons, so I did. The players were attacking this fortress of shadow mages, and they had a pet or allied shadow dragon. When they got into the sanctum, this dragon, it's a 3.5 dragon, so I don't know if you remember 3.5, but they get claw, claw, bite, tail, and they can sit on you if they want to. So the player who got into melee, I just had the dragon kind of leap up and sit on them. And it does something like, I think, I think it does the same as like the bite damage or something crazy like that. And of course it was slapping others with its tail, you know, claw, claw, and there's going to be a part two because... The main event comes up. So this shadow dragon had this player character pinned. I believe he was like a half elven or elven fighter. Um, and he had him pinned. So the pin continues to do damage, which is great. And if you remember three, five grappling rules, if a large creature is on a smaller creature, it is here and I impossible to get unpinned. But see, I wasn't done. What I did is I had the dragon with the sinuous neck breathe on itself so it shadow dragon breathes level drain and this shadow dragon effectively drained the hell the life out of this half elven elven fighter the other players of course are shooting it or casting spells at it trying to help but cannot get close because of oh yes reach in three five is awesome don't want to get close to those claws or jaws 
and maybe I should have um, sent this as a voice message to you since this is part three maybe this will be enough the shattered dragon breathed not once but twice because there's really no recharge like there is in older school games who wants to breathe it wants to breathe right so um yes it destroyed and turned this elven knight into a shadow and uh yeah the other players retreated had to regroup i think Eventually, they came up with a plan to maybe charm the dragon and not kill it because it could make a powerful ally. But alas, when they returned, they had to fight their elven knight friend, the Shadow, but they dispatched him pretty quickly. I think the player was mad and maybe didn't show up for a couple sessions. I am not super familiar with 3.5 dragons, but I am very familiar with Pathfinder dragons, which I assume are pretty close so, yeah, you know, you talked about how they get claw, claw, bite, plus a big enough dragon will get crush, which is what I think you were talking about when you were saying the dragon can just sit on somebody. And uh, a big enough dragon will also get two wing attacks. So, yeah, that's claw, claw, bite, tail, wing, wing, crush. Every round, <laughs> you do not melee fight a dragon. Not at the very beginning of the fight, at least. You have to soften that up. That is part of player skill. <laughs> knowing that. Knowing that if you run up to a dragon, especially in a game like Pathfinder 3-5, as a melee character, and it's a big-ass dragon, you're going to get messed up, son. That's just that's what they do. It's what he does. It's all he does. <laughs> Little John Connors for you. Uh, but yeah, dude, like, that's what happens. That is that being a mean GM? I don't know. I don't think so. I think that's a, a crappy player move to not show up for a couple sessions because your character died. I think that's a little BS. But to have a monster be a monster and monsterize a character, that's fine. You weren't cheating. Like, if you were fudging dice and doing all sorts of crazy stuff or using all kinds of homegrown abilities and shit that the players have no chance against, then, yeah, you could be a little mad at the Dungeon Master. That's still not an excuse to not show up unless you're like, I don't want to play with this DM anymore. Then that's fine. But if you're just, like, sulking and not showing up for a session, yeah, I don't know. It's kind of soft kind of soft but yeah dude dragon 3.5 and pathfinder dragons are i don't know are they the most they got to be the most powerful dragons in all of D D, right i would think so like an ancient 3.5 dragon taking on any of the other editions like fifth edition earlier editions i yeah give me that give me that pathfinder dragon all day and when you were talking about the dragon breathing on itself, that's an amazing tactic because generally dragons are immune to whatever element they breathe. I bet that shadow dragon was immune to level drain. So yeah, it just breathes on them. There might be a difference a little bit in the Pathfinder dragons from the 3-5 dragons because in Pathfinder there is 
a recharge period. It's usually 1d4 rounds, so you might get your breath weapon every round, but you might have to wait four rounds for it. And that's a tense roll every time when you're just like, here's the, let's see when it recharges. But dude, yeah, man, you use a dragon. Don't, don't be scared to use the dragon. If your players want to run up and think they're going to be tough and melee fight this dragon, bring it. (laughs) You know, that's not on you as a dungeon master. That's on the player. That's player skill. That is part of player skill. It's all part of player skill. Not showing up to the game for a couple sessions is also, that's bad player skill. Anyway, it all comes back to player skill. You got gnarly death stories. You got another story, though, Carl, before we let you go, of a near-death story. So tell us that one. Hey, Joe. I almost called in about another tale of death, but alas, the player character did not die. They were fighting these plant men creatures on a bridge in front of a castle, and I got not one, but two crits in this thing's two attacks. The first crit potentially knocked him unconscious. We didn't even get to that because the second crit with the dagger stabbed him in the head and dropped him. And we're playing DCC, so you have X number of rounds per level that you have. The characters are fifth level. So, alas, they have a cleric in their party. He only was, you know, bleeding out for one round before the cleric went, ah, la, 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 la. And healed him, and then he made a save to get for the for the concussion hit and made it. Stupid dwarf, he survived. So let me get this straight: in DCC, no matter what happens to your character, you have as many rounds as you have levels to get healed, and then you don't die. Damn, that sounds pretty soft, right? Like that's way easier than going into negative hit points and dying in Pathfinder or even three death saves and die in 5e. I don't know. I didn't realize DCC took it so soft on people. That's good to know. DCC really seems like an intro. I will. I'm going to have to look at it. I'll have to read it one of these days because I hear so much about it. So, yeah, man, this is just another another interesting wrinkle to a game that I've just heard about. I've never read. So thank you for that information. Uh, Up next, let's talk a little bit about, uh, let's hear Jason talk a little bit about the virtues of virtual tabletops. (laughs) Take it away, Jason. Hey, Jason, the Rat Pack here. Really love the session recap. Sounds like a great game. It's interesting. She's still using roll 20, but it makes sense. Some jams are more improvisational. Some, like to have that organization, and she's and she started DMing using Roll Twenty. So to continue using it even when you're playing face to face makes sense because there's some good tools in there. And to be honest, a lot of us like to think that we're super improvise master GM people, but really we could use some more organization ourselves. So kudos for her for sticking with it. Kudos for you guys for being a kick-ass group, and kudos for you for giving us a great recap. Now, finish that site survey for RichterCon 2020X. 
I suppose I should have set that call up a little better. So for some context, Jason is talking about my recaps of the Pathfinder Curse of the Crimson Throne campaign that I'm playing in. And the fact that the my dungeon master uh, still uses a VTT for the game, even though we're playing in person now. She's got all the maps on there. She has all her monsters on there. And so when we're sitting around the table, we still have our laptops open. Uh, we have our character sheets on there. I roll, I roll actual physical dice, and so does pretty. I think everyone at the table now does, except for her. She rolls her real dice. I do roll on roll twenty when we do initiative, though, just so my initiatives in the you know the turn order thing that roll twenty puts together. But yeah, it's I get it. Like I don't know if I would, I, I if I was running a module it'd be super nice you know uh, especially a module that's all already set up <clears throat> excuse me that's all already set up on a virtual tabletop like i own the rise of the rune lords adventure on roll 20 well as there's a stupid bug in my room i can hear it anyway yeah as much as you own anything that you buy online, any digital thing. But if I was to run Rise of the Rune Lords for an in-person group, it would be it, it'll be super nice to have that all set up because I'm not drawing out all those maps and stuff. I I hate that stuff. <laughs> I hate it. Anyway, uh, what are we going to talk about next? We talked about VTTs. Uh, we've talked a little bit about character death. We've had some contentious comments. Let's talk a little bit about um, let's talk a little bit about cyberpunk. Let's talk about my episode "A Hard Rain Will Fall." Up next, we got a couple calls from uh, BJ the Arcane Alienist and Jason talking about that episode. So take it away, dudes. Pedro loved hearing Rain's story. I can't wait for the cyberpunk game. The energy you're going to bring to it is going to be very, very awesome. So, yeah, Chumba. Great job. Hey, Joe, that was a great um, introduction to your cyberpunk character. Although, I'm, you know, I'm a little confused. I need you to clarify one point for me. Was his band opening for Steel Dragon before or after Izzy Cole took over as the lead singer? Anyway, that would really help me understand. Talk to you later. So, BJ... I don't know which card this will take for me, if this will take my nerd card or my metal card or what, but I don't know the band Steel Dragons. <laughs> I don't know who that dude is. I'm guessing it's a band and he's the lead singer, but I have no idea. <laughs> sorry, sorry. I feel bad. I wish. I wish I knew. I feel like I let you down there, BJ. Uh, I'll have to I'll have to do a little bit of research. But what I was talking about was the Steel Dragons Booster Gang in Cyberpunk 2020. They are a sort of new on the scene booster gang in Night City. They're uh, they're one of their big rivals is another booster gang called Tiger Claw, and that's Tiger with a Y because it's Cyberpunk. Damn it. <laughs> There's also another booster gang called the Bozos, and they're all about living that clown life. 
a bunch of murderous asshole clowns. They're like, if Juggalos were worse, which I don't know if that's a thing. <laughs> Sorry, ICP fans out there. You know, I in college, so this would have been either 99 or the year 2000, 1999 or the year 2000, one of my housemates had an Insane Clown Posse album. So I have heard an entire album of ICP before. Therefore, I can say in full confidence that they suck, <laughs> that they are terrible. Uh, but that's, that's a whole nother story. I'm glad, though, that you liked my story. That's cool. That makes me happy in my heart. That was a weird one to put together for me. I, I put a little bit into that. And I, like I said, I just, got, I just got fixated. But anyway, it makes me happy that you guys liked it. I played when, when I was down in Southern California this past trip. I played a little bit of it. A little bit of a hard rain will fall for my sister and one of her friends. <laughs> and my sister couldn't take much of it. She made me stop after a while. It was just too cheesy. It's cringy. But it's out there and it's cool. I like it. I like it. Anyway. Thanks so much, boys. You know, you liked you liked Rain's backstory. And since we're talking about backstories, we're going to go back to that well with Jason and Carl. Uh, Carl will be up first with some stuff to say about character backstories and why they're good. Hey, Joe, great point. I agree. Some people sort of dismiss role-playing and say, oh, it's just acting. But I think that's part of the exercise and why, for me, it makes it cool is that you get to play something other than you. I mean, if we were all going to act like, you know... I, I appreciate John Wayne, but you know as well as I do that every single role he played, he played the same damn person. So it was John Wayne as Genghis Khan, right? And that, to me, is not as satisfying as trying to immerse yourself and play a character who you have developed a backstory for and play that character with that backstory. I mean, otherwise, you're just kind of playing yourself. And uh, I want to go somewhere else. I don't want to play myself in a game i hear you carl i mean you don't need to act crazy different or anything like that but putting a little twist on your character actually daniel norton of the bandits keep talked about this on a recent episode when he was talking about how to play non-human species but it, it transcends to human species too just yeah, again, you don't have to play it different. Like, I, I'm not going to hold that against someone at all that just plays their character just like them. That's, that's fine. But I think there is more to it. Like, when you invest in your character like that, I think, yeah, I think it helps. I think it adds, adds to the enrichment, to the engagement to the immersion, all that, all those words, all the words that are good that people talk about all the time. 
you know, just a little bit of acting, not acting, just changing your personality a little bit uh, when you're playing a character is good. It's a good, it's a good thing, not a bad thing, but again, not a necessary thing. And yeah, dude, you're absolutely right. John Wayne plays the same character. He's not a good actor. He can play one role really well. Well, I don't know. Is it hard to play yourself? I don't don't know. He is famous though, right? He was in a ton of movies back then. So that's cool. Um, but yeah, you know, play something different sometimes. I don't know. Maybe like a Russian vampire. Hey, Joe, I want to play a vampire in cyberpunk 2020. Actually, I agree with Jason. It kind of breaks verisimilitude. However, in Shadowrun, you can play a vampire. And I did. She was a Russian vampire and she was pretty badass. Uh, she had, she did use her gaseous form several times to escape. Um, yeah, I don't think the GM liked it because he subsequently killed us all because he got bored because we kept beating uh, his schemes. And we got tired of his schemes anyway because it was all bullshit. So uh, just FYI, if you play Shadowrun or play Shadowrun or if you run Shadowrun, don't have us make an elaborate backstory with a lot of contacts and then take them all away. In the first session that's really not fun it makes you kind of mad and vengeful and then you kill uh dawns of crime families carl so many of your stories makes me happy that i didn't play during the 2000s at all like i played some in the 90s and then some started playing again in the 2010s but I I feel good about that. It it you you played with some real dicks. Like having your characters have backstories with a bunch of with a bunch of goddamn contacts and then killing or whatever removing all of their all those contacts in the first session is an asshole move. Even even if you didn't ask for all those contacts and stuff, though in Shadowrun, that's important. You do do that stuff um, because in Shadowrun and Cyberpunk, and in my opinion, all other role-playing games, these characters have existed before they first appear at the table. That's how I think of it. So yeah, man, that sucks. I would never do that. I also don't think I'll ever run Shadowrun. As much as I love the world, I just, I played, I've only played one session of Shadowrun ever. It was the most recent edition, which I don't, is that fifth edition, seventh edition? I don't know what edition it is. Run by someone who had never run a role-playing game before but thought that it might be cool <laughs> to start running Shadowrun. And I was very, very excited because I've always wanted to play Shadowrun. But after that first session, everyone that was just like, yeah, we're not going to do this again. <laughs> this was a fun experiment, but it was just an experiment. But you have some more to say about vampires. 
in Cyberpunk 2020, you can actually get cyber mods to have fangs like a vampire. They're actually called vampires. So you could conceivably do this and uh, bite people in the neck and leave those vampire marks. So um, maybe I'll do that. I'll do that just to fuck with Jason in the game. I'm going to have those vampire mods. That would be kind of fun. You can also get Wolverine Claws. Um, just FYI, I think they're called Rippers. They're kind of expensive and they really mess with your empathy. But uh, yeah, I might, my character is kind of focused on Aikido. I don't think I want to get any like extra weapon mods on his, on his digits. But, uh, you know, maybe a razor stud implant. Who knows? Anytime you want to do something to fuck with Jason, Carl, I'm, I'm on board, man. That guy gives you plenty of shit, good-natured shit all the time. I love Jason. I think he's fantastic. But, you know, he's a little shitster, so you give it back to him, man. Get some vampire teeth, dude. Bite those people. Aikido them, throw them down on the ground, and then bite their necks. <laughs> I, I am all for it, man. I can't wait for this game. It's going to be awesome. I hope... I hope everyone is as excited about playing Cyberpunk 2020 as I am. Because if you are, if everyone is, it's going to be awesome. Because I'm super, super excited. And speaking of Jason and Cyberpunk 2020, let's hear from the man himself about character backstory stuff some more. Okay, cool. Bye. Hey, Chumba. Jason of the Rat Pack here. Just calling to say, enjoyed your latest episode i forget what it's called the one you dropped today um which won't mean anything to the people listening in the future but you know the one i'm talking about and yeah i i don't really have much to add to it i i'm with you i again i'm the i'm one of those people if somebody wants to bring a backstory of the game great if i can use elements in the game i will and even if i don't use a lot of elements from their backstory in the game it still helps them visualize their character and play it better so there's no negative to that if somebody wants to come to the game and isn't into that and doesn't want to bring a backstory and wants their backstory to merge as they play i'm down with that too so i i think this is one of those things that i think it's talked up a lot but unless you you know are really a super duper controlling gm like say unless you're a super duper controlling gm who wants to make pre-gens with pre-made backstories and wants to, you, you know, make your players act like little puppets and you control them. If you, don't, if you want your players not to have autonomy at all, then I, I guess you wouldn't allow backstories. But I have yet to hear a reason not to allow players to bring backstories. No one is called in your show. Now, to be fair, Carl's called into your show with some horror stories, and those are issues. I'm not saying Carl should just let those kind of things happen in his game, right? But that's not a reason not to allow people to bring backstories just because of a couple bad eggs and a couple people that are, you know, off the rails. So I have yet to hear a valid reason why you wouldn't allow people to bring backstories to a game. So I'm, I'm interested to see if, provided everybody's on the same sheet of music and you're you know, working together. I, I don't see, I haven't heard anything good yet. So keep on keeping on. I hope your site visit's going well. I'm glad you're able to see your family while you're scouting locations for Rictacon 2020X. And I will talk to you soon. Take care. 
by the way, Joe, I'm 100% with you on autumn or fall being the best time of the year. Were you the one that said somebody had a problem with the word autumn or fall? Explain that. If it wasn't you, then I guess I need to go listen to whatever podcast that was. They all blend together. Jason from the Rat Pack out. Yeah, dude, I will keep on keeping on, man. And absolutely, Jason, I have not heard a good reason why not to allow backstory. I mean, to be fair, the the reason that I've heard, I guess it's technically a good reason. The only one I've really heard, though, is that because I don't want to. <laughs> that That's the reason. If you try and delve farther, deeper into that, you don't really get, it's just, I don't want to do it. And you, you, you got to accept that. They're the dungeon master. They get to choose. But I, again, as I've said over and over again, it is an additive process. It in no way subtracts from the game. It's, I, it is the greatest gift a player can give to the dungeon master, for sure. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, and as far as the emergent backstory thing goes, it's okay. It's fine. If that's what somebody wants to do, fine. And again, I wouldn't require people to have a backstory. I would encourage them to have one, but I wouldn't require it. But yeah, with the emergent backstory, it feels a lot like the Quantum Ogre problem to me. I talk about this a little bit in a call-in I made to the Red Caps podcast while I was on my site visit. <laughs> so I don't think that episode has come out yet. But yeah, it feels like... Or the quantum equipment problem that people don't like, where you can just say, oh, I have a 10-foot pole. You know, you could also just say, oh, yeah, I know this NPC. They're in my backstory. I it's Something about that just feels off to me. And it's people like it. I get it. But... Yeah, I don't know. I feel the same way about that as people do about the quantum equipment and quantum ogre problem, which generally is people don't like those things. But they're also fine with emergent backgrounds, so I don't see the difference. Maybe someone can explain to me the difference between emergent backstory and quantum equipment and quantum ogre, which if you don't know, quantum equipment is where you just have equipment slots on your character sheet and then you could just say whatever they are like equipment slot a is my 10 foot pole all of a sudden uh, and the quantum ogre problem is you know there are there are two hallways and you put the big bad down hallway b but the party takes hallway a and so you just move the big bad to hallway a so they actually don't even really get a choice no matter what they choose it leads to the big bad and yeah, that's that's sort of how I feel about the emergent backstory thing. It's 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 very reminiscent to me, but maybe not. Maybe I'm missing something. I don't know. What I do know though is we're done for today's episode. So let me get out of here. Yeah, so that was it. Thank you all so much for the calls. Thank you to Ray, Jules, Carl, Jason, and BJ. That's awesome. That's a sweet, solid crew, by the way. 
you know, I play games with that crew all day long. Speaking of games, I just got finished watching the Mariners win their 90th game, keeping their slim playoff hopes alive. This is the first time the Mariners have won 90 games in a season since 2003. <laughs> it's been a minute, folks, but it's been a hell of a season. Um, they got one game left. I'm super stoked on the Mariners, man. My roommate is a huge Mariners fan, and the Mariners have just been bad for a long time. So it's just really cool to see my roommate getting a chance to be excited about baseball in October. It's dope. Way to go, Mariners. Way to go, everyone who called in. Way to go, everybody who listens to this show. Uh, yeah, little sports talk. <laughs> little sports talk on hindsight list. I can rap about sports. Uh, the good ones. Anyway. <laughs> what are the good ones? What are the bad ones? We'll never say. We'll never tell. Anyway, everybody. I think you're all pretty cool. I hope you're doing good things. Be good to your friends. And they'll be good to you. Peace out. <laughs>